Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. As I started earlier, I want to introduce our guest speaker today. I've known him for 30 years. He's pretty special to me. He's my oldest son, Evan. Uh, during the holidays, we get him here, and so I asked him to share a word. We're going to actually extend our Wonder Series by one week because he shared this message at his church uh, probably a month ago. And I said, you know, can you just share this again with us as a, a congregation? And uh, so proud of them, so proud of all my kids. Um, but uh, you're going to enjoy this message very much so. So Evan, come on up. Uh, give him a round of applause. Thank you for sharing today. Don't use the stairs. Just come up this way. Oh, there we go. Are we good? We're, in? We're on? It's weird getting used to another headset, you know? You're so used to the one, your home headset, and then you get the guest headset, and then you start second-guessing yourself, Jeff, and that's what I, that's what I just did there. But what are you going to do? Uh, no, I love, uh, this Sunday is really special to me. It's kind of, if you grew up in church, it's affectionately usually known as Youth Pastor Sunday um, because the pastor never wants to share the week between Christmas and New Year's, and so it's always the youth pastor. Um, but Brett graciously lets me take the spotlight here, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I also love it just because, you know, it's very rare, like we, li- we live further apart, so it's very rare that we get to do um, ministry as a family very often, and so this Sunday is always really special. Um, yeah, particularly the stuff that me and, me and Brett get to do where he leads worship and I get to come up. Um, I'm convinced that you pick goodness of God every time just because you know it's the most likely song to make me cry during worship, <laughs> which is, uh, we'll talk about me crying here in a little bit, but uh, I had a thought, so I guess to piggyback off of your thought and dad's thought and now my thought on that same section of worship that we had, um, it's funny to me where during the course of that, I always, uh, where it says, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. Um, I only think of painful things, which is really interesting. Um, and then I, I guess while we were worshiping, I just kind of put together that I think it's in, the, it's in the hard moments of life, it's in the painful moments of life that God's presence with us is at its most evident. And I remember I was talking with, uh, I was talking with my grandma, um, not the one who's here, who is awesome, but my, my, my dad's mom, and she was talking about how um, when my grandpa was, was walking through cancer and, and getting ready to pass, she had a, uh, a friend reach out to her and she said, <clears throat> my grandma said that. This always confused her for years until kind of looking back on it. Um, but her friend said, like, these are going to be some of the hardest moments of your life, but they're also going to be some of the most dear to you when you look back on them. And I think part of that is because um, when everything is going really well, I think we have a tendency to forget. And when everything is really hard, we have a tendency to cling. Um, and I think sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is allow us to walk through pain uh, to remind us that, that he is here. So that one was a freebie. That has nothing to do with my message. I just <laughs> It was just a thought that occurred to me. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much that we get to the opportunity to gather here today. I thank you so much that we can worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped. Um, and I pray that today, um, that as I speak, um, that there wouldn't be a hint of pride in my heart. I pray that they would be your words and not my words. Um, and I pray that you would use me to effectively communicate your gospel. And I pray that you would prepare um, the hearts of everyone who is ready to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so I guess some backstory or some ideas. This message, it's a, I have a plan, I guess is what I'm trying to get across here. It's a twofold plan. Um, and this twofold plan involves, number one, kind of sharing a story from my life and connecting it um, to kind of the wonder of not just the Christmas season, but the wonder that we should be feeling all throughout, all throughout the year. Um, and then the other part of this message is this really nerdy rabbit hole that I fell down whilst I was preparing it. And so if that sounds interesting to you, um, great. If that doesn't sound interesting to you, you know, give me a chance, and maybe it will sound interesting before, before the end. Um, so I, I, if, if there's, you wouldn't call me a crier, I guess, even though I just talked about goodness of God gets me every time. But I'm, I'm not a very, I don't cry super often. Like, even if you've known me for years, there's a pretty good chance that you've never seen me cry. Um, but what I am is a random crier. And so sometimes the, you know, the feeling just overwhelms me. Um, and so there's moments, you know, where I'm crying and, you know, it's because something sad happened or you get bad news. Um, and so Ashley, my, my wife, who loves me very much, um, she'll come and she'll give me a hug um, and she'll tell me everything's going to be okay. And there's other other times I cry um, where there's no empathy. It's just laughter, and Ashley's just laughing at me and pointing and saying, like, why? And which sounds, which makes her sound really bad, but it won't sound bad once I kind of share a couple of those stories, I suppose. Um, a couple famous ones, you know, when almost all these happen when it's just me and Ashley on our own. Um, but we're, you know, we're watching Lord of the Rings, as you do. You know, it's a very good, very good series. Um, and so we get to the end of Return of the King, and maybe a lot of us know uh, the scene. But, you know, all, everything looks, hope it looks lost. And then the Rohirrim get up, and there's all these horses on the hill. And they start chanting death. And then they charge into the army of the orcs across the Pelennor fields. And the violin is cranking, and the music's going. Um, and Ashley looks over. And I'm just, you know, tears rolling down my eyes. And she's like, what are you crying about? And, you know, it doesn't matter in those moments. Like, you know, I'm trying to explain, like, you know, it's just the bravery of, of and obviously it's fake. Like, I know it's fake. But, like, would I have the courage to charge to my death just because it was the right thing to do? I don't know if I could do that. I've never been asked to do that before. And here these fake people are doing it. So, I don't know. It's one of those things. Um, another one was, I feel like Pixar is doing this new thing where it's like, hey, Want to cry? <laughs> Watch this movie. Um, and so some of them, you know, some of them, like, are, they get you right off the bat. Um, I have a, it's super weird. I have a great relationship with, with my dad and my brother. Um, but, like, every movie about father-son or brother-brother relationships just gets me. So I don't know. It's just something weird. So, like, we were watching Onward, and that was, like, first scene crying and then the whole rest of the movie I'm on edge like I'm not crying through the whole movie but anytime they kind of go back into that emotional spot just in tears um, one of the weird ones though was we're watching Inside Out not crying during Inside Out it's actually you know it's a fun movie it's about like a, a girl kind of going into adolescence and so she's learning uh, to walk through her emotions and kind of learning like hey like you know happiness and sadness those are both a part of life you know it's a, it's a good message um, but then like halfway through the movie there's this character named Joy and she's trapped I don't forget I forget where she's trapped but she finds uh, the girl's imaginary friend Bing Bong who's like this weird elephant creature um, and then they, get, they build a catapult and they launch themselves up out of the place that they're trapped Bing Bong realizes that he's not going to make it and so he jumps out Joy gets up there and as she looks back down he tells her you know hey take her to the moon for me and then he dies and I'm sobbing like I am just on the couch distraught over this cartoon elephant and Ashley has to pause the movie and just hold me while I'm sobbing about this stupid Pixar movie it's insane what they they're just manipulative those artists 
Uh, the weirdest one I've ever had, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even keep up the tears for very long because I started laughing as well, um, but we, we were on a road trip. I think we're going to Yellowstone or something, but, um, you know, we listen to music, and if you can't tell from looking at me, I'm a man of eclectic tastes, and so our Spotify driving playlist, it's mostly normal music, but I throw in some weird stuff just to kind of, you know, you want to mix it up a little bit, um, and so there's this, like, old sea shanty that comes on, and it's about, I know, you're already laughing because it's ridiculous, um, and it's about finding the Northwest Passage and about how they're going to be the ones to do it. And it's not sad in and of itself, but, you know, I was thinking through the idea um, that it practically doesn't exist. Like, if you look on a map, it's there, but really you can't ever use it. And so all of these people are dying, like, year after year, and they're trying to find it. And there's this song that's full of hope, but they're singing about something that they can't do. You know, the broken dreams of all the people who tried it. And I was just overcome with emotion. I started crying. And Ashley, there wasn't even a hint of empathy at that point. Ashley just immediately immediately started laughing and like what are you doing right now and I couldn't I couldn't answer it was just a weird one um but one of my one of my most meaningful I guess random cries if you want to call it that was we we have a tradition every year where we uh, during the Christmas season where we just like to drive around town we'll look up you know most people's towns they do like a here's the winners of like the top 10 houses in town and so we'll go see them we'll listen to Christmas music drive around watch the lights um and and oh come all you faithful came on and about, about halfway through the song, I really was just kind of overcome with the emotion of what the song is trying to get at. And so that's what I want to talk a little bit about today, what was kind of going through my head. But, but first, we're going to need a little bit of backstory. So we're going to go back in time. Uh, we're going to go back in time pretty far. This is the reign of King Solomon. So this is happening in Israel, uh, Solomon is David's son, so David of giant slaying fame, so he had some big shoes to fill, um, and he doesn't fill them very well, but Solomon is, the, you know, it's weird, because I think growing up in Sunday school, um, all you know about Solomon is he asked for wisdom that one time, and then we just kind of and just, you know, ignore the idolatry in the 600 wives, but that one time, he asked God for wisdom, so it was 300 wives, 600 concubines, a lot of a lot of ladies, that Solomon, that's the, that's the point. Um, but his big accomplishments, I, I would say, they're, they're, they're kind of like the rival accomplishments he has. Um, the, he builds the temple of the Lord, and then he also contributes um, a lot of scripture. And so we have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon are all written by him. And, and they're beautiful. Um, and so the temple is something that David... Solomon's father had dreamt of building for all of his life, but God said no. Um, David was kind of a, a warlord, I guess you could phrase it. He was a man who uh, made his living in battle, and, and God wanted Solomon, who was the more peaceful son, uh, to be the one who would build the, temp- build the temple. And eventually, the temple is constructed, and, and it's beautiful. And I know all of us, like, we're, I don't know, January 1st, I usually start my, my Bible in a year reading plan. Um, we all do it, and we all, you know, if we're all honest with ourselves, like, once we get to the passages that are talking about, like, this is how many cubic feet the temple was. Like, we skip it, right? Um, but even, because, you know, I, I, and I, here's the thing. I get it, right? It's, it's boring to read. Um, but when we read through those passages, we get the idea that this is a beautiful, ornate building. Like, this is absolutely the most beautiful building in Israel, save maybe Solomon's palace, but that just shows you where his priorities were a little bit. But something incredible happens when Solomon dedicates the temple. Um, we're told that the glory of the Lord rushes into the temple, and it takes the form of just a, a, basically a cloud of smoke. 
And we're told that it's so, it's so thick that the priests who are inside have to leave. They, you can kind of imagine them hacking up a lung as they're running out of the temple because the glory of the Lord um, is so pervasive in that moment. And, and right after that, Solomon launches into a prayer. And it's really beautiful. It's, it's in 1 Kings, and we, we don't have time to read the whole thing today because it goes on for quite a few chapters. But in the middle of this prayer, uh, he, he asks this really interesting question. And this is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. And he says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And so here, here Solomon is getting at a deeper truth. He, he's, he's acknowledging that Yahweh can choose to dwell with his people, and, and he's inviting him to do so. And we, and we don't get an answer to this question for quite for quite some time. And so we kind of talked about how um, Solomon, if, if you open up a history book, he would be like the greatest king of Israel. When you open up the Bible, you realize that he's leading the people away um, from idolatry. But again, you know, he, he, he does write um, books of the Bible as well, and so it's kind of cool to see his, his turnaround there. Um, and as Solomon's reign goes on, the people kind of drift further and further away from God. Um, there's a section of Ecclesiastes, which if you've never read Ecclesiastes, it's a huge downer, but it's a really good book. Um, but there's a section of it where it talks about how, you know, what's the point of working hard and leaving an inheritance to your kids? Because they're idiots and they'll ruin it all anyway. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it says. And I like to imagine that when Solomon was writing that, he looked up and looked into the eyes of his son Rehoboam and was just like, what a and then just kept writing. Um, and so sure enough, Solomon dies and Rehoboam uh, takes over and it takes him like, I don't know, a few months to completely destroy the kingdom and split it in half. And so that's what happens. We have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, they both kind of go on their roller coasters of serving God. Um, Judah, their roller coaster is like a true roller coaster. It has ups and downs. They have good kings. They have bad kings. They have great moments. They have really poor moments. Um, Israel's roller coaster is like the one that goes straight up and then just falls straight down. Um, there's no good kings they just kind of it's just a bad deal from the very start um, eventually Israel is conquered by the Assyrian Empire and the king Sennacherib um, I only say that because Sennacherib is really fun to say and then the southern kingdom of Judah is conquered eventually by the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar which is a fun name to say but not as fun as Sennacherib and what's really interesting leading up to these moments is you we can see how the prophets change and so early on in Israel's history, the way that the prophets would work, usually, not always, but usually, it was, this is going to happen to you unless you repent, then if you repent, I will relent, This speaking from God's perspective. And so there's usually this judgment that is being told, and if the people of Israel would repent and they would turn back to God, then God will relent from the judgment. But when we get into um, particularly Jeremiah, but also in Ezekiel, these are the prophets that are ministering right before the fall of Jerusalem. In Ezekiel's case, he goes afterwards as well. Um, there aren't any moments where that's offered. And it struck me this year reading Jeremiah, I, I, I never noticed this before, but it struck me for the first time that at no point in Jeremiah is there a promise that if the people of Israel relent or repent, that God will not destroy Jerusalem. That's just a given. And in fact, there's even a part where, and this is a really scary verse that sometimes we can just gloss over, um, there's a part where God tells Jeremiah straight up, hey, if you're thinking about praying for the people of Israel, uh, don't bother. Which is, that, I mean, that's, that's a really scary thing when you think about it. Um, eventually, we keep getting closer and closer to the fall 
of Jerusalem. And, and one of my favorite prophets is Ezekiel, um, particularly just because the way he describes the visions that God gives him. It's, he, he uses really good word pictures, so you kind of get a great example of what's going on. Um, but Ezekiel is a prophet. Um, he's not living in Israel. He was actually one of the first Israelites taken over to Babylon um, before Jerusalem even fell. But in a vision, God takes him back to Jerusalem. And it kind of, this vision's really interesting because it harkens back to that first moment where the temple is dedicated. It, Je- Ezekiel is standing in front of the temple. He's standing, he goes inside of the temple and he hears this mighty whirlwind and, we can see, and he sees the glory of the Lord surrounded by angels. There's four seraphim um, or cherubim. I always forget which ones, but there's four angels um, and they're with the glory of the Lord. And you can kind of imagine this deafening sound of almost like standing in the middle of a hurricane. Um, but instead of seeing the glory of the Lord enter the temple like Solomon and the people of Israel did, what Ezekiel sees is the glory of the Lord depart. And he sees the glory of the Lord first leave the temple and he kind of runs outside after it. And then he sees the glory of the Lord leave Jerusalem completely. Um, and, and I imagine that moment, obviously this isn't written in the, in the scripture there, but I, I always imagine what that must have sounded like. To, to go from hearing this mighty whirlwind, from hearing the, 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 the rushing winds, having to put your hands over your ears, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord departs and, and the first thing you hear is just the silence of that. Like there's no one around, there's no one talking, there's no music playing. It's just the silence of God's glory departing. And then eventually when Ezekiel's ears adjusted to that, what he would have heard is the armies of Babylon that had already surrounded the city and the siege weapons that were being rolled up. And, and the, the, I guess the laughter of the Babylonian armies knowing what they were about to do. And it's, it's a really sad moment because I think in that in that. In that moment, Ezekiel understood that the glory of the Lord had departed and and nothing would ever be the same again. And inside of Jerusalem, there was a ton of people who thought to themselves, you know, everything else can fall, but this is God's holy city. God will never let Jerusalem fall. And they don't know that the glory of the Lord just left and that absolutely it's about to fall. And so that that happens, Uh, Jerusalem is sieged for, for a good amount of time, um, and eventually it falls, and it's exceptionally bloody, it's exceptionally brutal. Um, the people who survive are taken as captives, and they're, they're sent into exile into the land of Babylon, and that's where they stay for 70 years. Eventually, um, the Babylonian Empire is taken over by the Persian Empire. Uh, the Persian kings, way nicer than the Babylonian kings, and so Cyrus the Great thinks to himself, hey, you know, you can go back. That's fine with me. And so the Jews kind of go back. And that's where we get the stories in Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, they're talking about the two great returns of the, of the Jews that happened. First, the first one's under Zerubbabel, and that's the first section of Ezra. And the second one is under Ezra himself. And what happens there is it's really interesting. They, they begin to rebuild the temple. That's one of the first things that they do when they go back to Jerusalem. They want to worship God the way that he had commanded them to worship him. And so they, they rebuild the temple, they pour the foundations, and they dedicate it. Um, but there's this really weird section of Ezra where it talks about how the temple is dedicated, and half of the people shouted for joy, and the other half wept. Um, and it says that half of the people wept, for they remembered the, they remembered the old temple. And so part of what's happening there is... The old temple, Solomon's temple, was the most beautiful building in Israel, one of the most beautiful buildings in the region. And this new temple temple they're building is smaller. Um, It doesn't compare. And so it kind of shows how far that they had fallen as a nation and as a people, that they, they once were 
one of the key powers of the region, and now they were just subservient to the empire of the region. Um, but I think the other thing that's happening there is the people remembering back to what happened the first time the temple was dedicated. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. The second time the temple is dedicated, um, it's just silence. And this is kind of the, the nerdy rabbit hole that I fell down, because I, I was thinking to myself, you know, when prepping and talking about the Christmas story, it's just miracle after miracle. Like, it, it's, it's this really um, beautiful moment of God intervening. And I was wondering, when was the last miracle that happened before um, the Christmas story? And that's where I realized that um, from the moment that the Jews return to Israel, there are no recorded miracles for the, for the rest of the Old Testament. So Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, there's no miracles in those books. And, and what's, what's really interesting, too, is after Malachi, God doesn't even speak through the prophets anymore. And there's, there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And I think sometimes we, we hear 400 years, and when you're reading a book like the Bible where it's covering thousands of years, like we kind of just like, oh, yeah, 400 years, that happens. Um, that's an incredibly long time. Like 400 years is almost double the amount of time that the U.S. has been a nation, and we think back to that as being forever ago. Like 400 years was, was an incredibly long time for the people to work through, and surely they must have thought in those moments that, nothing would ever be the same again. And, and obviously God would still look after his people. I don't want to make it seem like God was completely absent or anything. Um, but the, the days of hearing thus says the Lord from the prophets, the days of seeing the miraculous seem to be over. And the answer to Solomon's question of will God choose to dwell among his people on earth um, seems to be a resounding no. And see, for me, I think having some of that context is what makes the Christmas story so incredible. And, and, and one of the big mistakes that we can make while we read the Bible is, you know, we know the ending, right? Like, we know the good guys win, and so, but we, we don't read the Bible as if we didn't know that. We don't try to put ourselves into the lives of the characters who are walking through the different things. Um, when we read the Christmas story, we're reading it, and we're like, oh yeah, Christ, Messiah, he's born. That's really cute. And then we just kind of move on. Like, no, like this is an incredible moment for the people who are living through it. And, and I, obviously we don't have time to talk about the whole Christmas story, um, but I, I want to kind of zone in on, on one part of it. So at this point, Mary and Joseph, they've already gone to Bethlehem. Um, they've already knocked around. There's no room in the inns. Uh, Jesus has been born. He's been placed in a manger. And, and, and here's what, ha what happens next. This is in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And see, what struck me so much when I was prepping for this was verse 9, where it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so I think, for, for me, I, I was just wondering, 
How much did the shepherds understand that this was it? Like this is the thing that their ancestors had been hoping for, that they had been hearing stories from their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers about how uh, God had done the miraculous and how God had protected them, but it must have seemed... It must have seemed legendary or mythical um, because nothing had happened in their lifetimes. And yet here they are in the middle of essentially the night and they're seeing the glory of the Lord return to Jerusalem for the first time since Ezekiel saw it leave. And it's interesting because the glory of the Lord doesn't return when you think it would. When the people repent and they go back from Persia and they live in Israel, once again, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. When they rebuild the temple, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. When they renew uh, the covenant, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. Years later, when they get a little bit of independence as a nation, we don't hear about the glory of the Lord returning. Uh, When the temple is rebuilt again and kind of remodeled, I guess is the right way to put it, and it's made into an ornate building that is once again almost as beautiful as Solomon's temple, the glory of the Lord does not return. The, the, The glory of the Lord doesn't return until God God finally answers the question of will Yahweh choose to dwell with his people with yes. And and that's what the Christmas story is all about. it's, It's this idea that the whole of scripture hinges on this one question of will God choose to dwell with his people. The, The Messiah had arrived and nothing would ever get to be the same again. And what I think is really interesting is who does God choose to be the ones who get to see that? It's not the nobles. It's not the priests. It's not even the prophet, right? Like, who gets to see the glory of the Lord depart? It's Ezekiel. He's one of the great prophets of Israel. Who gets to see the glory of the Lord return? It's working guys in the middle of a night shift. And this is, this is going to sound really flippant, um, but they're, they're, they're nobodies. And, and I mean that in the sense of they, they don't ever come back into the story. We'd never hear from the shepherds again. They're not named. Like if, we, if, we, if one day in heaven we can walk around and they'll tell us their names and we'll have no idea who they are, they're going to have to explain, like, no, like the shepherd, it was me. <laughs> and, and just imagining what that would have been like, the, the, the awe, the wonder that they must have felt that the, the God who had seemed so distant for all of their lives had just revealed, their self, revealed himself to them. And so how do they react? Well, we see that in, starting in verse 15 of chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so the shepherds' first reaction is is to drop everything and to run into town and see the thing that the angels had told them about. And we're not told this, but I imagine like they wouldn't instinctively know which manger was the one to go to, right? And so I always think that they're like opening it up and like opening up a stable. What's in there? Ah, it's just animals again. And they shut the door and they keep like running through until they finally find um, the right place. (coughs) They're exhausted. They're sweaty. They've been running over the hills. Like it's not like they're in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. They're in the hills outside of Bethlehem. They run all the way into town and then they find 
exactly what the angels told them that they were gonna find. And they're telling everyone there, like, no, you don't, you don't understand. Like, this is, this is the Messiah. Like, the angels of the Lord appeared to us. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and, and they told us exactly who this person was. And, and Mary cherishes this truth because it's a confirmation of what she already understood to be true. But, you know, it's funny. I, I would think to myself that Mary probably wouldn't need it confirmed very much because angel appears, virgin birth, that doesn't happen every day. Um, but I think, I think these small moments where she just kind of keeps getting it confirmed in her heart must have been incredibly faith-building for her as well to know that um, her son is not just her son. Her son is Emmanuel. Her son is the answer, again, to that question that Solomon asked centuries earlier, will God choose to dwell among his people on earth? And she sees the answer, yes, in, in her child. And so to, to get back to the story at the very beginning, when, when I was listening to O Come All You Faithful, I was just imagining um, what that would have been like to be the shepherds, to hear the proclamation of the angels, and to run over the hills to run into the gates of Bethlehem, to search all of the stables that you can find, um, and finally be able to just look and, and adore Christ. Like that, that must have been an absolutely incredible moment. And I, th- I think when, when I first spoke this message, I was talking about one of the biggest mistakes that we can make during the Christmas season, right? Is we can get lost in... Um, the lights and the gifts and even things that are good, right? Like I love being able to spend time with family at Christmas. It's it's really important and really special to me. Um, I love that Christmas is a thing that we kind of all share. Like it's not just a Christian thing, but that we can have um, our neighbors of basically every faith or even our neighbors who have no faith, but we all kind of get to share Christmas together. Um, I think that's beautiful. But we can can get lost in some of those things and, and we don't remember the truth of what we're celebrating. Um, but I think today as we, as we head into a new year, another important thing to keep in mind is that we don't relegate celebrating the idea that God chose to be a man, that God chose to dwell among us, that that, that child who was born would grow up and live the perfect sinless life that we could never live, that he would die the death that we deserve to die, and that because of his death and resurrection, we can now have a relationship with him. Um, We shouldn't relegate celebrating that to just a few weeks in December. That should be something that occupies our thoughts always. Um, the, The idea that God loves us, the idea that God loves us, not just kind of us generally, but that God loves us individually as a person, that the idea that God loves me, the idea that God loves you, is something that we should never allow ourselves to lose our sense of wonder of. And I think that's one of the things, that's one of the biggest dangers that we can have as Christians is, especially when we've been Christians for a long time, we've heard it so many times, we've heard the gospel so many times, we've heard that Jesus died for us so many times, we've heard that the creator of the universe loves us so many times, that it just kind of becomes white noise, it becomes something that we kind of nod along and we don't take the time to really sit in that, to think about that and and to wonder about it. And so let's, let's just pray together here for a moment. Father, I thank you so much 
that you chose to dwell among us, that you did not forget us. I thank you that even in the midst of our sin and even in the times where we deserve it, I thank you that you never left us, that you never deserted us. Father, I pray that as we go into 2023, I pray that you would help us to spend this entire year and and really the rest of our lives never losing our sense of wonder at what you've done. I pray that you would help us to never take for granted your plan of salvation and to take for granted what Christ did for us all those years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.